NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. Joining me on the show, as usual, is Jake. Nathan and Ash. Boys, it's great for you to join me again. We've got a few issues to talk through tonight. We talk about controversial suspensions and trips to the AFL Tribunal once again. We talk about the booze to Buddy at the MCG and we dissect your round of footy as well as cast an eye forward to this weekend's games. Boys, uh, let's start off with the tribunal. We've got a few hearings tonight as we're recording. And first of all, the one that really stands out to me is the Jacob Van Ruin strike, as you could call it, on Charlie Ballard from the Gold Coast Suns. Um, I know we're all about protecting the head, but I'm just going to get straight into it and give my opinion on this tonight. This is a rubbish suspension. Um, are there not allowed to be accidents in footy anymore? I know that the AFL is super cautious with the concussion, um, you know, class action lawsuit that's going on at the moment. But um, I think we need to get a grip as a game. And I think purely legislation is just taking over our game. And, you know, we're seeing football acts um, not be what what they once were. And I think it's pretty unlucky for uh, Van Ruin. Uh, as soon as it happened, he was apologetic. Uh, he was only a fraction late, but because he at Ballard actually got concussion, there you go. It's just instantly upgraded. So I think that's pretty rough. Um, I think it's an accident. Accidents happen. It's a contact sport. You know, that's life. Um, mm. Ash, what are your thoughts, mate? Let's get straight into it. Yeah, well, I agree. Um, Callum, you sort of agree with what I was saying a few weeks ago, how I feel like we're going into a bit of a slippery slope where it sort of first started off with the sort of bumps, which weren't exactly football actions, especially like Pickett and McAdam. And now every second football action is getting suspended, whether it's aerial contests, whether it's sort of tackles. And um, it's putting the game into a bit of a, a really funny spot, you know, um, it's kind of hard to see in, in the vision whether he's taking his eyes off the ball or not, but he was genuinely trying to make a contest. There was no aggression in it. And the fact that he was hit in the head and um, there was not even a concussion, it's just luck in a way. So it's, it's a very unfortunate situation. Um, and I think it's a shocking decision. Because I feel like he's not as big of a name player. Um, that's what's really helped to elevate this suspension. And we're going to yeah. talk about the junior Rioli one a little bit later on, but, Nath, um, I'll throw it to you next, mate. Um, what are your thoughts on Van Ruin and do you think he's hard done by? Look, I'm actually going to have to disagree with you guys on this one. I think for me, um, the AFL, I think despite going down this path of, you know, some harsh suspensions and everything has made it pretty clear that anything that is involving the head is going to get you some hot water. I think probably the biggest thing for me with uh, the Van Ruin incident, just reading the comments is that, They've said he's making a play on the ball and he's looking at the ball and everything. But I guess from the footage we've seen, there's probably a good five or so metres at the end of that contest when he's purely looking at Ballard um, and not at the ball um, and almost, you know, jumping in hope that he will make contact with the ball before Ballard gets hands to it, I guess. And that sort of then um, puts him in a tough spot because... If he's eyes for the ball and he's making contact, it's probably a little bit different compared to eyes not for the ball and then making contact with Ballard. And then we've seen that anything with the head, the neck region, 
that's going to get you in a bit of hot water as well. So whether it's one or two, he's obviously gone for two. I think maybe two is a little bit stiff, but I do think there has to be a punishment in this one purely because of the action he's made. And I think the thing that makes this interesting is I don't think we've seen a type of incident like this where a lot of people have thought this is really line ball and Michael Christensen immediately came out and gave it two weeks, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, But if there is a similar incident, you know, later in the year, you know, they can use this case as precedent, I suppose. So the AFL set the benchmark and if they're going to do this for one player, do it for every player, have some Mm. consistency. And I think the thing that we're getting frustrated about as a football fan, football community um, it's just the lack of consistency, whether it's umpiring, whether it's score reviews, whether it's decisions at the tribunal. So I think the AFL, um, it's probably too late this year, but I think hopefully over the off season, um, you know, it's something that the AFL can look at. And lucky last, Jake, what were your thoughts on Van Ruin's uh, two-week suspension? Uh, yeah, well, I'm kind of in like a bit of both worlds. So I understand what Nathan's saying with regards to hitting the head. And I understand what you guys are saying as well. So I think two games is a, is a lot. Uh, one game, you know, at most, I guess. But I do kind of agree that he was looking at Ballard, but I did see an attempt at making the ball as well. So I think it is a bit unlucky that he did, you know, get the head. So I think you get the best of both worlds. So I, I don't know if anyone really loses or wins in this one. As we're recording tonight, the uh, Nick Newman uh, hearing is going on at the moment. Uh, Brad Close uh, ended up getting his one-week suspension upheld for a, a dumping tackle on uh, Adelaide captain Jordan Dawson. Uh, but the one that I really want to talk about is Junior Rioli. And um, oh, this one immediately got sent to the tribunal. And I don't know how to react to it because I want to take my Port Adelaide bias out of it. Um, and I thought Rioli, you know, did some really good things on the weekend. And if he does get some weeks, he's going to be sorely missed. But um, the vision's very inconclusive from what I've personally seen, but I'll throw it to you, Jake. Um, what were your thoughts yeah. on Rioli's incident on Ridley, which left him with concussion once again? Well, initially when I looked at it, I thought, oh, this is kind of a bit of a flop. Um, And kind of looking back on it, um, I still kind of do think Ridley did react, you know, throwing the arms up in the air. Um, And I look at the three-game suspension and, you know, I can't really see how it can be three. I think three is a lot. Uh, But, you know, with intent, you know, one or two games I'm okay with, but I'm not sure about three. Um, but, you know, going to the head with a flying elbow, um, it's not ideal. Uh, so, yeah, I just think three is a lot uh, for what he's going for. And, Ash, I'll throw it to you, mate. What are your thoughts on Rioli? Um, I think it's a, a really interesting incident because we haven't really seen something like that for a while. Mm-hmm. And I agree with Jake's sort of um, look like a bit of a flop. And I, and I still sort of looking back at the vision, sort of really struggle to say kind of where that reaction from really came from really came from. Mm. I think the actual action is just Rioli putting on a block for Finlayson and, and just almost bad luck that he strikes Ridley. And it looks like it sort of came from his wrist 
or not sort of a fist to the jaw. It's really sort of hard to tell exactly what happened, but it looked pretty innocuous and I don't think it was deliberate and I'm not sure how you can sort of be referred to the tribunal for that, especially because it wasn't a free kick or anything like that. I guess it's one that I'm more sort of puzzled and I guess because of that, it's sort of hard to form a, a, a strong opinion, but I don't really think that that's a, a suspendable offence or, or something that should be referred to the tribunal at least. Jake, sorry, I'm going to throw it immediately back to you. Yeah. Now, you're the Essendon expert in the, out of the four of us. Um, does Jordan Ridley have a history of concussions or knocks to the head, or do you know if he received one um, earlier in that game from, you know, something slightly minor? No, not necessarily. I think he's had a few in the past, but no, not that comes to my mind. But I do know that it did hurt us on the weekend because as soon as he went out, he kind of threw a spanner in the works and we had to go, you know, Finlayson, um, you know, he was off a leash and then we had to go for Dixon. So it, it did hurt us, but no, he doesn't have any, nah. Yeah, it certainly had a, a big result in the game and, you know, if Ridley played, I think Essendon, um, you know, could have snatched that yeah. game with Port Adelaide kicking inaccurately. But, Nathan, I'll throw it to you. Now, do you think that Michael Christensen has referred this to the tribunal because he's got no idea how to handle it? Or do you think he's actually thinking this is potentially worthy of three games? Uh, you've taken the words right out of my mouth. I, it's hard because the vision is very inconclusive. I guess that's exactly what's gone on um, and the level of impact. And obviously we can tell that it has it is high contact because of the received by Ridley but yeah it definitely does feel like one of those ones where um you know the match review officer has no idea how to actually properly grade this and has gone you know let the tribunal sort this out uh, it's tough again we're talking about the head the president's been set but this is extremely extremely unlucky I think on on a junior Rioli um, case here. I would hate to see him wiped out at all. I think that reality is that he may get a week or two, but the impact itself isn't high. Like the like the the severity of contact isn't high. I don't think so. That may save him. But then again, you know, we're probably looking at this purely on a um, an outcome basis, and the outcome is that Jordan really. Now they're saying he might miss a couple of weeks now with his neck. And, Touching and whatever else going on as well. So, you know, that may potentially play into this as well. But, yeah, I, I think Michael Christensen's gone tribunal. You deal with this one because I've got no idea what to do with it. And it's also one of those incidents as well that we've never really seen before as well. So it's a brand-new case and, you know, a bit like the, the Van Royen one, we're probably going to have a new priest set for something that happens like this in the future as well, I think. I think the thing that's going to be really interesting with this case is I feel like the vision that was captured on Fox, who was the broadcaster of this game, there wasn't many camera angles. I think they only showed two, maybe three, and you can't see a lot from those camera angles. So if I was bought, um, you know, I'd be asked, you know, arguing that the conclusion, uh, the the vision's inconclusive. I'd be looking at potentially Ridley's history, whether Ridley had any further uh, or prior hit, sorry, um, you know, earlier in that game. So 
Um, it's going to be really interesting to see. The Rioli case goes in front of the, the tribunal on Wednesday night, so tomorrow night as we're recording. So um, that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Now, some unfortunate things that did happen on the weekend, and we're going to touch on Buddy Franklin, but first of all, after the game on Sunday, um, Junior Rioli was racially uh, vilified on social media, which is just a disgusting act, and um, it's really upsetting. Um, I'm not just saying this as a Port Adelaide supporter. It's just disgusting behaviour, and as a school teacher myself, you know, we're trying to educate students about how to remove this sort of behaviour from society. And, um, yeah, no, it's just really unfortunate that we've seen all the things that have happened with um, Adam Goods, you know, being racially vilified, booed out of the game. And, um, you know, I'd hate, hate these when these incidents comes up. I remember Eddie Betts a few years ago. Um, you just hear about all these different things, but... Nath, what are your thoughts about um, the racial vilification to uh, Junior Rioli after the um, his hit on Ridley on the weekend? Yeah, I don't think it's just Junior. I think we've seen over the, over the first eight rounds, there's been numerous um, Indigenous AFL players that have been subject to you know, online racial vilification, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, receiving some pretty um, pretty. Uh, um, disturbing messages, I guess, and it's a poor look for the game. You know, I think, you know, the Indigenous players especially bring so much joy and passion and love to the game of footy that, you know, this is the last thing that they deserve to have to go through given that they're going out there and enjoying themselves playing footy. And, you know, I I, I truly hope that, you know, what happened on Sunday at the MTD to Buddy isn't racially charged or fueled rather um, because we saw what, about 10 years ago, what happened with Adam Goods and, you know, that was a week-on-week-on-week on week on week basis where he got booed. And at the moment, this is only a, an isolated uh, situation with um, Buddy and, you know, you, you hope for the better of the game but in the coming weeks that doesn't happen. Um, and I do also enjoy what Collingwood did, that they sort of, you know, didn't enjoy what their supporters were doing and came out and pretty much condemned it um, and said, look, you know, we don't stand for that. We stand for Buddy, legend of the game, etc." Um, but it's not a good look. I know that, you know, players that leave clubs, for instance, get booed and, you know, that's fair enough. It's done in, I, I believe that's done, you know, in a good nature. Um, but, you know, this yeah, does have the potential to, to get out of control, I think, if it's not sort of, you know, um, controlled in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Nathan, you're spot on, mate. You, you hit the nail on the head and, you know, um, I fully expect North Melbourne fans to boo Jason Horn Francis on the weekend. And you know what? That's for a good reason. He left your club. You have every right to boo him. I know. I've booed players that have left Port Adelaide. I remember when Chad Wingard left Port Adelaide. I booed him. You know, he was a contracted player and wanted to leave. So, um, you know, everyone has probably booed a player in their time, but we need to make sure that we boo a player for... Um, the right reasons. Boo a player when he's having a shot for goal and you want him to miss. That's fine. That's what people do when they go to the football. Um, it's just more those targeted sort of attacks we don't want to see. And um, Jake, do you have any thoughts on either Rioli's um, vilification on social media or um, Buddy's booing? Um, well, I might just go in and amplify what you said as well. You know, I'm a footy coach as well, and um, you know, teaching the boys. Um, you know, respect for women, respect for yourself, and also the 
uh, racial uh, stuff as well. It's it's really big to teach them at, at a young age as well. So, um, you know, I see it all the time on Instagram. There's always always a post from a footy club, whether it be, you know, Port Adelaide, West Coast. Um, you know, it's, it is really annoying to see because it's always the same people. It's always, you know, the same apologies being made. So um, you know, I hope it goes away because I love doing, I love doing for the fun, like, you know, when someone leaves my team or if someone lays a hard tackle or something like that. But, um, yeah, for the wrong reasons, definitely not, no. And one of the other things that was talked about was Tom Stewart, um, you know, the Cats are, are playing Richmond on Friday night, I believe, and, um, you know, the um, the sickening hit, I suppose, to Dion Prestia last year. You know, that's when a player commits a, what we call a, a dog act or a, shameful act on the field you've got every right to boo him like you know people booed gaff when he hit brayshaw 100 meters off the ball can't believe that's five years ago now um but ash final thoughts on booing racism in the game and uh with indigenous uh, doug nichols um, round coming up in the next um few weeks you know what sort of lessons can we learn and take forward as a society and a football community well i think it's clear to say that not enough is being done. It happens so often that these people who are making these racial attacks, which are terrible, they suffer no consequences. So they might be called out on social media or whatever like that. But but really in their, in their personal lives under these anonymous accounts, that there are no consequences for them. And that's sort of what's so bad about social media. And I, I wish that sort of clubs would take but for those where you can sort of track down the accounts, cancel their memberships, name and shame. Don't don't just release a statement, but really something needs to be done to sort of prevent this from happening. Um, maybe it involves, obviously this is a bigger issue than the AFL, but to sign up on social media to sort of have more uh, kind of be able to be tracked in a way. Obviously that comes with security issues. But, yeah, these anonymous accounts and people online making comments yeah, it's just terrible, and I'm not really sure exactly what you can do, but not enough is being done. The funny, or not funny, but interesting thing that's going on at the moment is apparently the person that made this comment about Rioli, uh, he used his actual, he or she, used he, their actual account to make this comment, and it's believed to have been a male, not a female, but that's to be determined, but they believe that this person used their real profile to create or distribute this comment. Um, is life bans or extended bans appropriate for something like this? Like, I believe that there should be a chance for redemption. I'm not. I'm saying like a lengthy ban. I'm saying like a 20-year ban, not a life ban, maybe like 20 years, 15 years, 20 years, something like that. Um, is that overkill? Is that not enough? Or should it just be a straight life ban? You're done. Ash, yes or no? Oh, I think that's pretty fair to say. Name and shame, cancel memberships, ban them for 20 years, do something to make a stop because whatever's happening now, sort of those generic statements made by those social uh, social media accounts of AFL clubs, it's not enough. So I say yes. Nathan, ban for life, yes or no? 100%. I think, you know, we start, we have to start making an example out of these people to try and, um, you know, stop this behaviour. And I also wonder as well as, 
whether or not these people are even fans or members of the club or if they're just absolute nobodies in society that's got nothing better to do than to, to pick on people with profiles that they can that are easy targets and they can get a bit of a thrill out of it as well. That's the other thing that I think. You know, I, I'd hate to think that people from my club, for instance, are, are making these remarks about their own players. That, that, that's probably, you know, pretty poor in my eyes, I think. And Jake, what are what are your thoughts about a potential lifetime ban for people who make races, uh, racism comments on social media towards players and officials? Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, lifetime ban or just do whatever it takes to get this stuff out of our game. Uh, you know, Taylor Walker did his thing, and I think everyone's you know forgiven him, um, and you know he's learned and he's you know embraced what happened. Um, everyone who does it, you know, we all should know that. It might not hurt someone, but it hurts the next person. Um, it hurts them more because we don't know. So, um, yeah, I agree. I just want to obviously reiterate for our listeners who um, are listening to the podcast, um, we're not saying that the um, the booing of Franklin um, has anything to do with racism. Just wanted to, to clear that up. It's just um, the sort of the racism of Rioli and um, as we talked about the they they kind of link together. So we're not saying that they, um, yeah, one certainly means racism, but we're just talking about racism as a, as a general issue. But moving on, let's talk about uh, the round of footy. Um, Ashes Blues got touched up on the weekend, unfortunately, by a strong Brisbane Lions team. Uh, Nathan's Crows went down to Geelong and gave a pretty solid effort against the Cats and uh, my inaccurate Port Adelaide decided to get the chocolates over um, Jake's Bombers. So, Nathan, I'll throw it to you, mate. What did you particularly like from round eight? And can you believe that we're a third of the way through the season already? It's pretty scary. It's hard to believe. I think you've now really got to start taking what teams have done so far pretty seriously. I think, you know, it's not it's no longer a small sample size of what the teams have put forward. And I think um, I think probably one of the big winners for me um, out of the weekend is the Western Bulldogs. They continue to get it done. And um, I've written down here in my notes, is, is, is this Bont's year to win the Brownlow? Um, he is single-handedly now winning games of football for this, this team. I know that Norton kicks the goals late and, you know, the defence stood up in the fourth quarter and whatever else. But Bonton Pelly is doing everything that you want out of a captain, I think. You know, he's dominating in the middle, plus are in clearances again, and that's largely because of what the, the work that Bonton Pelly is doing. Um, Tim English has, you know, 100% put himself as the number one ruckman in the competition and the most mobile ruckman we've probably had in quite a while as well. And I, I think if they can sort out their forward line and get some consistency up there with what the midfield and, the, and their back line is doing at the moment, I, 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 th- I truly do think that the Western Bulldogs are, you know, one to watch out for. And I think the other team that we have to talk about at the moment is, is Collingwood. And I think They've now, over the last couple of weeks, been out, been out to find ways to win games of football without Nick Daycott's having the impact that he had in the first six weeks. You know, Sydney tagged him up until um, three-quarter time and they sort of were able to get to that point in the game and remain competitive. But for whatever reason, dropped that tag. Daycott's had 10 touches in the fourth quarter and was you know, a key component in uh, what was a, a rampant Collingwood in the fourth quarter. And again, we've seen that them finishing hard, 
playing 120 minutes of football um, and ultimately getting the job done. But I think um, the two players that continue to stand out for me um, from Collingwood is one, Scott Pendlebury, who's game 350, 60, 70, whatever he is now, and continuing to be the player that stands up in big moments and, you know, uh, steers the ship in the right direction. And he's probably a little bit reactive for what he did do on the weekend. But Brody Majek, Brody Majek has got to be one of the most underrated players in the AFL, I think. He's an undersized pull forward um, who does all the dirty work. He, you know, crashes packs and brings the ball to ground. And, you know, his defensive pressure is unbelievable. And that's a lot of what Collingwood's game is built off of. And the one stat that I found so unbelievably amazing is the fact that Collingwood had 22 tackles inside 50 on the weekend. Their hunger and fight and determination to make contests and and make a footy ugly at times in, in the uh, sections of the ground where they want the ball is just unbelievable. And, you know, they're really starting to separate themselves from the pack, obviously on the ladder, but just, you know, from a, a mentality standpoint, the, the gap is widening now, I think. I'll tell you one thing, I do not underrate Brody Majacek. He always goes into my same game multi for two or more goals. <laughs> it's always a good bet. And it more often than not, it comes off. Um, whether the other legs in the multi come off is a completely different story. But, uh, Jake, I'll throw it to you next, mate. What did you like from the round of footy in there? Any teams that are standing out to you um, even more than last week? Yeah, I might be a bit boring, but I agree with Nathan with those two teams. Um, I have, you know, I have some uh, some stats here. So, uh, Bontempelli right now has the fourth highest individual uh, season based on player rating. Um, do you guys want to guess the other three? Since two thousand and twelve. Since two thousand and twelve. Gary Martin, twenty seventeen. I'm going to guess that. Yeah. So Martin number Swan. three. And then Ablett in 14 and 12. So those are some pretty good seasons to uh, to put yourself in. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Bailey Smith, McRae, Liver, um, they played well with uh, Bontempelli as well. And they had first use of the ball with the 40 hitouts uh, from English. Uh, but McRae, you know, he's had a weird start to the season. Uh, we are talking before, but um, he was able to pull out the game and play quite well. And then, you know, Pies and Swans, you know, it was 45 to 40 at three-quarter time, and it was kind of playing in the Swans' hand. You could say the Swans kind of wanted to get in the mind of um, Collingwood at the start of the game, and I think this game suited Collingwood uh, because the ruck issues for Sydney continue with no hickey, of course, and Frampton, I thought, you know, one goal, and he had the 32 hitouts. He he dominated McLean and Laddams, um, and he gave first use. But, you know, Sydney had the major ball winners, uh, but as Nathan was saying, that uh, Collingwood just wanted it more with the 22 tackles inside 50 and Majacek finishing it off with five goals. So that's why I loved one weekend. And lucky last, Ash, what did you find enjoyable from the weekend? Oh, well, I think you've got to speak about Brisbane. Um, I think that the way that they their pressure which they created on Friday night and the way that they capitalised on the turnovers from their pressure was just incredible. Certainly one of the best teams in the competition, if not the best, to sort of do that. Um, they also had 13 forward half intercepts in the opening half uh, and that sort of really catapulted to them into sort of leading that transition game, which uh, worked so well. Um, 
They finished the pressure rating with 193, which is just off the charts um, in, in elite territory, and just Carlton could not compete with that. Um, and the other one I want to speak about is Grundy and Gorn. So there were a few sort of questions in the off-season about how they would work together and, and sort of the chemistry which they would have, both being sort of genuine ruckmen. But I think what sort of happened, and, you know, they're only playing Gold Coast, but the way which they overpowered Jared, Jared, Jared Wicks um, and sort of to hit the scoreboard as well was just really, really dominant. And if one doesn't get you, then the other one will. Um, and I think the same thing can sort of be said for Collingwood because it wasn't almost like they lost anything in the trade. Um, so I think it's pretty rare that you see a win-win trade, but I think both sides in this uh, worked really well. Gorn and Grundy are working fantastic for Melbourne and Collingwood haven't really lost much. Well, they're paying $300,000 <laughs> of uh, his contract to Melbourne. So uh, they have lost a little bit there, but at the same time, they've been able to um, recruit Tom Mitchell and get Hawthorne to pay some of his contract. But, um, we see Collingwood's ruck issues um, starting to to get a little bit better with the return of Mason Cox. I know that Darcy Cameron's still a while away, but uh, I would think he would be in pretty good contention to come back for finals. But Frandon, um, as we talked about last mm-hmm. week, he's doing an admirable um, job in the absence of those guys. And as you mentioned, Nathan, 32 headouts. That's really impressive for um, someone who's not a genuine ruckman. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he spent a lot of time at Port Adelaide. He was people forget he was on Port Adelaide list for for five years and played three games, which I still always found uh, perplexing. Considering we had, you know, Paddy Ryder out for a year and uh, uh, you know lots of in, lots of injuries to Paddy Ryder as well, and Loby leaving, which you know created opportunities. Trengove rucking so. You know, it's good that he's been able to to find a, a role and a good opportunity at a third club. Um, let's move into some things that we are concerned about from the weekend. And um, I really think Gold Coast should have won this game against Melbourne. Um, you know, da- you know, Dar- it's easy to blame Darcy McPherson who had a shot um, – 40-odd metres out, pretty well directly in front with about 45 seconds to go to tie the game up. But, um, yeah, just a a lost opportunity for Gold Coast at home, um, really concerning. And, you know, Sydney lose another close one as well. And I'm not going to ride off the Swans. Uh, At the moment, the top eight as we speak is Collingwood, Melbourne, St Kilda, Brisbane, Port Adelaide in fifth, Geelong in sixth. Uh, Western Bulldogs in seventh and Carlton in eighth. Mm. Now, stats show, and Lee Mong Tagner is pretty big on this on first crack. I love watching first crack with those boys. Um, generally, after eight rounds, the top eight is virtually set and there might be only one or two changes. Are there any teams from outside the top eight that you can really see jumping in? I could see Sydney getting on a little bit of a roll sort of late in the year and finishing the bottom half of that eight, but um, I reckon your eight is almost confirmed. What do you reckon, Jake? 
Uh, yeah, well, the Swans have done it before, um, you know, when they started 0-6. So um, I guess do they have the same, you know, fight? Um, they're obviously coming off the grand final loss and they're still trying to get some players healthy. Um, I, I reckon the top uh, top three uh, minus St Kilda is pretty set. Um, I think St Kilda might be flirting in the, you know, the fifth to eighth range at the moment. I'm still not quite sure, uh, particularly after the week, and I think that was a pretty um, a rough game to watch. Uh, but, yeah, I reckon it could be said, especially uh, maybe the Crows uh, could fight, a, a, you know, give a little bit more. Um, they could potentially be up for it at the end of the season as well. So I think maybe ninth and eighth and even seventh could potentially be up for grabs. Nate, what are your thoughts about the eight at the moment and um, could you see any changes? Obviously anything's possible, but, you know, stats show that, you know, if you're in the eight early in the year, it generally holds you in pretty good stead. Yeah, look, I think there's two teams outside the eight in my eyes that can break in being Sydney and the Crows. Um, But then looking at the eight now, and Ash, sorry, but I reckon Carlton at, at the moment on current form and, you know, whatnot, Carlton are the only team in the eight that probably looks vulnerable to not be there. I think St Kilda, even though we're a little bit unsure still exactly where they are, they've already banked, what's that, six wins, um, you know, so they're already halfway there, a third of the way through the season to pretty much lock up a top eight position. Um, and even the same with Port Adelaide. I think, you know, everyone was a little bit unsure on Port Adelaide this year as well, and they've gone ahead and banked six wins as well so far. So, you know, I think I, I think it's going to be quite hard to break in, um, especially if you're not winning games in the next two to three rounds. But I, I think it is pretty close to set. Um, I think the form of Carlton specifically and maybe St Kilda and um, and Port Adelaide as well would dictate what the eight looks like in another eight rounds, for example, after the buys. I think, you know, Port Adelaide have been playing some sides around them and, you know, and below them and getting the job done as they've needed to. And they play North Melbourne this week, which everyone, you know, expects them to touch up. But I want to see them... Be real. I don't expect them to win against Melbourne at the Adelaide Oval in two weeks, but I expect them to get really damn close and be really competitive in that game. Um, as long as they bring a, a four-quarter effort in terms of their intensity um, and they're there to play, uh, I'll be happy as a supporter because Melbourne are, you know, premiership favourites for a lot of people. But, sorry, Ash, I'm going to just double down on the Blues. They are... I still probably expect them to get it right come the later part of the year and maybe with the pressure of let's get a move on, that might help them. But I'll just list off their next few games. So they've got the Dogs on Friday, sorry, Saturday night, which should actually be a thrilling contest. Then they've got Collingwood at the G in round 10, Swans at the SCG in round 11, Melbourne at the MCG, Round 12, round 13, they take on Essendon at the MCG. And then from round 14 onwards is when their draw starts to get a little bit easier. Gold Coast, Hawthorne, who knows what Frio is going to turn up. Tough game against Port Adelaide, but they get to play West Coast again. So the fact that they get to play West Coast twice um, is a big advantage. And then Collingwood, St Kilda. So... If they could get out the next five games, maybe three and two, that's probably going to hold Carlton in pretty good stead going forward. But 
what are your thoughts as a Blues supporter at the moment? Are you, are you anxious? Are you worried? Is it all over Red Rover for Carlton if they don't make the eight this year? Um, yes. <laughs> um, I, I think, and if you don't mind, Cam, I might just merge this into sort of both a ladder discussion and sort of a, a team which disappointed me, Carlton. I, I think it is all over Red Rover if we don't make finals. We miss finals and it will be the worst thing to happen to this club this decade. I think it will be worse than 2015 and 2018 where we would win two games a season and finish dead last. Um, I, I cannot I cannot stress enough how categorically important it is to make finals because it will physically cripple this club forever and ever. Um, and, and because of this, I'm not even accepting any other opinion that this because this club will lose everything if we don't make finals. So it hasn't even crossed my mind that we won't finish in the top eight. Um, and, and the reason I'm sort of saying it's so doom and gloom is because missing finals, like forget about what's happened with the salary cap and all the sackings of coaches and all the wooden spoons. We right now, as it is, have a deep, deep, deep losing culture at this club. And missing finals it, this culture will become so ingrained that it will not be shaken off for further decades to come. So it's not even crossing my mind that we'll miss finals just because it has to happen. There, there is no other alternative, um, which worries me because so far this year, we've had three tests against some good clubs, Adelaide away, St Kilda and Brisbane. And it's been three tests and three failures, um, which really makes me think that we're in no man's land. Um, you know, we didn't look like kicking a goal for over an hour. Um, and this comes down to the players, the coaches, the footy department, everything. The leaders are lost. Jacob Weedering was terrible. Mackay and Kerno sort of went missing. Cripps was really bad. Um, the leaders are lost and they, they can't handle the pressure of sort of the pressure of the occasion. And it's been shown time and time again. Um, we are just so mentally and emotionally fractured. Um, and, you know, you can make all the changes to the team that you want. You can get a whole new playing list. You can play with the All-Australian team if you wanted to, but nothing will change because it's the archaic sort of backwards, boring game plan, which – and you can't even blame it on, on Voss because how many coaches are you going to sack? Uh, and it sort of just leaves you – you know, thinking where did it all go wrong and and what can you do? But I think the thing is this team has clear strengths and weaknesses, um, but it also makes us very, very predictable. Um, I think we can turn it around. You know, Geelong last year, I think we're five and four before they went on their massive run. In 2017, I'm pretty sure Richmond were four and four. So, look, I'm not saying we're going to go undefeated and, and win the flag, but it wasn't all you know, rosy for those premiership teams from round one onwards. So I think I'm hoping it's going to be the opposite of last year where we sort of peaked too early and sort of went on a downwards fall. I'm hoping we sort of start slow, sort of get all the cogs moving and sort of get those pieces of the puzzle and the game plan fully tuned for hopefully some September action. Sorry for the long rant. (laughs) I I tried so hard not to laugh during that. You were so passionate. I couldn't stop you. It was uh, nothing. Nothing was going to change your mind there about your beloved Blues, and um, you know it brings us back to the point of uh, you know I know you mentioned salary cap, but um, I feel like it's just inevitable that Tom De Koning is going now. 
Um, I, I want him to go. Yeah, I know. You talked about this pretty heavily last week because you feel that he or Silvani isn't cutting it as that second ruck or third pull forward. And I totally understand uh, your opinions on that. But yet again, you've got McGovern on 800,000, De Koning, who's going to get offers of 600,000 potentially from Carlton or, you know, offers of eight or 900,000 from other clubs. So it's very, it's very interesting to see what's going to happen with the Blues if they don't make it, whether they, you know, try and offload some of these more expensive players who are creating salary cap issues to try and get some additional picks to go to the draft. Because we've seen what Ollie Hollins has done for for Carlton this year, and he was a pick 10. He's been, he's been great so far. He's made a few mistakes here and there, but, you know, he's got good skills. He's got good determination, and I think he's a, a 200-game player for your football club. Now, boys, let's move into this weekend's round of matches. So we've got a double header on Friday night. I still don't know how I feel about this. Give me Thursday night footy over a double header on Friday night. Now that second game is a game in the West, so I tolerate it maybe slightly more. Um, but we've got Richmond taking on the Cats at the G, and then we have the Eagles taking on the Suns at home. What a ripping Friday night game that is. Uh, moving to Saturday, we have the Swans and the Dockers. Now, if the Swans lose this to Frio at home, I reckon they're done. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm going to double down on that. You know what? I reckon they're done if they lose to Frio at home because um, you shouldn't be dropping games at home to teams that can't score. Uh, anyway, then it's down to Tassie for North Melbourne and Port Adelaide, the Jason Horn Francis Cup, uh, and the Hawks take on the Ds at the MCG. The Dons travel up to the Gabba to play Brisbane. And as we mentioned, Carlton have a very interesting test against the Dogs. Now, Sunday is probably the game of the round outside. Yeah, probably the game of the round, in my opinion, with the Crows taking on uh, the Saints. So it's 10th B third, but I think the Crows deserve to be a little bit higher than 10th. And the twilight game for this weekend on Sunday is Collingwood taking on the Giants at the MCG. So uh, I'm a, I'm not a Crow supporter, but I'm genuinely thinking of buying tickets to this on Mother's Day. So, um, yeah, hopefully it will be a good game and hopefully the Saints might get a few uh, back from injuries. I'm expecting a few boos this weekend for, for Brad Crouch, but... Um, yeah, and that and the Carlton and Western Bulldogs game are probably the two games that really stand out to me the most. Um, you're not allowed to talk about the Blues, Ash, but what games are you looking forward to this weekend? You've had your Blues rant for the day. <laughs> Settle. No, well, I think the Horn Francis Cup is probably going to be really interesting, and I'm eager to see sort of how the North players go up to him. I know that um, Jack Sewell was sort of talking a lot of smack on social media sort of through that whole trade period. So I'm I'm keen to see how that unfolds. I think the two um, the two Saturday night games, which still shifts me, that they overlap these games and have them starting at the same time, Lions versus Essendon and, and the other mystery game, which I won't mention because Callum has shunned me from using the 
<laughs> from using the C word, Carlton. Um, and yeah, obviously I agree about the Crows and the Saints. So it should be good. No sort of massive blockbusters, I would say. But yeah, every round of footy is a good round of footy. I'm actually going to throw this question back to you, Ash. Does there need to be Thursday night footy every week instead of two Saturday night games? Now, I know they do this so they can have one on seven and one on Foxtel. Um, But from a television point of view, I don't understand why you would want games overlapping and the same with the two Saturday afternoon games. I don't know how you do it so that, you know, everything gets spread out as easily as possible because, you know, Sunday night footy's never properly worked unless it's a game that's a twilight game in the West. But what did the AFL do with the fixture? And is this something that Andrew Dillon could look at? Andrew Dillon, if you're listening, uh, is this something that he could look at as uh, the new CEO of the AFL? Absolutely. I think Thursday night games has to be a staple in 2024 and beyond. I think um, maybe Riley Beveridge, who mentioned that's sort of the reason why they've got two overlapping Friday night or two Friday night games is because attendance historically for Mother's Day on Sunday is down. So they wanted to move one of the Sunday games away and obviously you can't put it on on um on Saturday to make it six games in one day. So Friday is sort of the next logical option if they're not doing, you know, Thursday night games for I think it was seven or eight weeks in a row, which is sort of ridiculous. But what can you do? Hopefully it's something that changes soon. I don't mind the fact that they're doing one game in Melbourne and one game in Perth. That I feel like if you're going to do that, that's the logical way to to do it, but I still don't like the idea of games overlapping personally. Mm. Um, Nathan, what are you looking forward to this weekend and any opinions on the fixturing? Uh, yeah, well, I, I can only imagine that Andrew Dillon is getting into Mojo Sports AFL podcast. So, yeah, Andrew, please, Thursday Night Football. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, we've spoken about it before. So I, I think whether it happens post-buys or in 2024, I think it needs to happen. So um, I look forward to watching Thursday Night Footy next year as well. Um, in regards to this round, obviously the Crows, um, for me, I'm not saying it's a – it's, it's, it's a must win for us. Not so much that the season's on the line, but I think, you know, everyone said, oh, the Crows look good, you know, two losses in a row, but they look really, really good. You get zero points for a loss regardless of how good and bad you are. And I think for a team that's still in that development phase, wins are important um, and confidence is a thing, um, especially for a team with our list profile. So I, I think a massive opportunity on Sunday at home against St Kilda, a team that, you know, we still do have questions about. Um, so big game there. I sneakily also am looking forward to the Sunday afternoon game, DWS Collingwood. I'm not saying DWS is going to win, but they're that plucky, you know, weird, play hard sort of a team. And I'm looking forward to someone going to Nick Dacos again and Toby Green will be back and up to his antics and everything. And I'm kind of expecting DWS to take it up to them. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um and I'm also looking forward to Melbourne versus Hawthorne. I really, really, really want Melbourne to belt them um, because I think it's going to further, um, you know, 
put under the microscope what Sam Mitchell has decided to do with this Hawthorne team, which I think is completely wrong um, and, you know, pretty much clearing house of every single senior player and playing kids. I don't think that and that's the right way of going about a rebuild. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, the club made a mistake in getting rid of uh, uh, rid of as many senior players as they did. So I kind of do want to see them continue to get beat up this year because I reckon they've gone about it the wrong way personally. Mm. Really? I was not expecting that from you, Nathan, mm. because you were probably more bullish on the Hawks than the rest of us were in our first ever episode of the year. I definitely had a wooden spoon. I reckon, Ash, you had a wooden spoon as well. Jake definitely had a wooden spoon. You had him in like 14th or 15th or something like that. So I'm actually really surprised to hear your comments. Would you like to particularly justify in a bit more detail about why you decided this? I think for me, watching them play the last couple of weeks, they are showing nothing, really, to be quite honest. Um, the fact that they come over here against Fremantle um, and did what they did was quite poor. And I feel like in a situation where you're trying to rebuild the games into young kids, I'm all for that. But you need to do it with experienced players around you. And by gutting their list the way that they did um, has meant that you remove having those like on-field coaches as such. You know, I'll sort of compare it to the pros where we gutted our list to a degree as well, but we've kept key senior players across each line to be that sort of leader um, and teach the young kids how to go about it. Whereas you look at this Hawthorne midfield and you go, who's the leader there? You look at that, that forward line as well and you go, um, where, um, who's the leader there? And you look at the back line, you go, James Sisley's the captain. But he's still quite an immature player when we look at the scheme of the AFL as well. So I still think there is value in holding those senior players to help assist the rebuild. And now that I've had a chance to look at Hawthorne over the first eight rounds, I'm really, really sceptical as to whether or not this is the right decision. Um, I might be proven wrong, but, you know, it just doesn't feel like they've done the right thing at the moment. I tell you one thing, I cannot wait for Hawthorne versus West Coast. Whenever that game is, it's the Harley Reed Cup. I can't wait for it. I will tune into that game very, very closely mm-hmm. and look for as many ways for that team to try and lose that game as much as possible. Um, that's probably being a bit harsh, but... Um, no, I've seen some highlights of Harley Reid playing in the VFL, playing in Carlton's, <laughs> Carlton's VFL. And, uh, geez, he looked very impressive. Dustin Martin Jr. is what they're calling him. Jake, lucky last mate, what are you particularly looking forward to on the weekend? Uh, weather's been pretty poor um, in Melbourne as of late, so I'm wondering how the games uh, will go, particularly the ones at the MCG. So as Nathan said, uh, Giants and the Maggies, I reckon this could be a very scrappy game. Um, I looked at it before and the Giants have actually won four of the last five um, against Collingwood. Granted, different really? teams. Yeah, granted different teams, but obviously that two-point victory in the prelim uh, was included. Um, I'm looking forward to Crows Saints, obviously. Uh, Dons, we do struggle at the Gabba. 
Um, I know last year we only just beat a depleted Lions team. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure. I'm looking forward to that one as well. And um, I feel Demons- like every team struggles at the Gabba, though. Every yeah. team struggles yeah. at the Gabba, though, particularly if it's a night game with dewy conditions. So I'll yeah. let the Bombers off there. Oh, oh I can't. Um, how many points will the Demons beat the Hawks by? I guess we can bet on that again. Um, I'm not sure. I, I might go 65. I might go in that ballpark. I don't know. With the weather, um, I'm just not too sure. All right. Uh, if it's dry conditions, I'll go 74. If it's wet conditions, I'll go 52. Ash, you're next. I was going to say 68. So Jake almost Ooh. took my answer. <laughs> uh, I reckon I'll stick with that. Rain, hail, or shine. Things will get it done. And Nate? I should have made, I should have made it rhyme. Rain change change my answer to um say sixty nine. Rail rain, hail or shine, days will win by sixty nine. There you go. <laughs> we'll get, we're gonna make that our reel for the week, so could could work out. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> and mate, lucky last night. Uh look, it's gonna be probably in the range of seventy to eighty, it'd be about twelve goals, I reckon, regardless of the weather. Melbourne will show up and put a clinic on. Yeah. Well, boys, uh, such a pleasure to talk with you on a Tuesday night. So if you are not following us on Instagram, go and do it. Head over to Mojo Sports AFL on Instagram. Follow that page and you will see updates about when every episode of the AFL show is released on our pop, uh, podcast platforms. Boys, Thank you so much for joining me again. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks to our listeners at home, wherever you may be around the world, and we will see you on our next episode. Cheers.